0: Father, thank you that we can celebrate the good news that you have conquered everything. You've conquered sin, you've conquered the grave, you've conquered hopelessness, you've conquered everything. And Father, we as a people stand here, and I think we're unaware of the victory that's already been purchased for us. I think we've overlooked it. I think we've been so washed in fear and concern and worry and anxiety. God, you've won. You've won. And so today, may we respond appropriately to the victory that is ours in Jesus and in Jesus alone. For it's in his wonderful, matchless, perfect name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat if you want, or if you'd prefer to stand, you're more than welcome to. I plan on it. Take your Bibles. uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It is shocking to me that today we finish our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, this has flown. Um, I have enjoyed it. I have been surprised by it. Um, I have been slain by it. Yeah. So, so, this week in particular. I say this all the time, and actually when, when people say stuff about... Um, how God has used the message in our lives, in your lives, when you say stuff to me, my response almost every time um, is, well, first of all, it's uncomfortable silence because it's awkward. But the other part is, you know what, this is, and pardon the expression, but this is what I say and exactly what I feel. Uh, During the week, I study and prepare to present a message that God has laid on my heart, and during the week as I do that, God kicks my butt. And I figure if he's going to do that to me, I'm going to share it with you. And so there was a whooping this week. And, and, in, and in a strange way, it was, it was uh, bittersweet and encouraging. Maybe not a strange way. The way God works. In those moments, he puts his finger on our soul and points out the areas that we need to repent. It's bittersweet. It's never wonderful to know that there's something in your life you need to get taken care of. But it's amazing to know that there is a God of mercy and grace who loves us enough to say, just come to me and I'll forgive you. So it's bittersweet. And today we get to end our series in Ecclesiastes with Solomon's concluding, final, this is what it's all about. He says, as you remember, as we've been going through the book, he says, these are the things that people pursue. These are the priorities that people place in their lives. These, in fact, are things that I've done. These are the things that I've made most important. And I'm here to tell you that if you pursue wealth, you pursue pleasure, pursue relationships, if you pursue sex, if you pursue power, even if you pursue wisdom, at the end of the day, if those are your focus, you will find no satisfaction. At the end of the day, the conclusion of the matter is what we come to today. And he tells us this. As he's reviewed his life, he's done his homework, he's done his study. Every single one of us needs to remember our creator. Remember our creator. And let me be careful because I think when we hear the word remember, it's like, oh yeah, I remember. But it's more than that. This remember is the remember that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's what the psalmist spoke of when he said, Delight yourself in the Lord. It's, it's, it's what, what Jesus and uh, uh, Moses spoke of as God gave the, Moses the words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it means to remember your creator. And as you remember the end of chapter 11, Solomon had just spoken to our younger brothers and sisters and said, delight yourself in God and then do what you want. And as uncomfortable as that makes us, it reminds us that they are young people. You are in the prime of life. You cannot waste those moments. So if you love God most, then what's going to happen is that love for him is going to govern your soul. It's going to govern your choices. And as you delight in him more than anything else, your choices will ultimately be those that please him. And he continues now. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, So, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of adversity come and the years approach, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light are darkened, the moon and the stars, they're also darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. Solomon says, I want you to go back to your creator. This is the exact opposite of everything that Solomon has done in his life. He says, in your youth, when you are young, I need you to remember to return to your creator. Go back to your creator. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Why? He says, because you aren't getting Any younger. And he paints a picture of the aging process that is artistic but profound. And and I want to walk through this with you. He begins it even in verse 2 when he says, Before the sun, light, moon, and stars are darkened. That's not a good picture in case you're wondering. Then he says, "Before Before the clouds return after the rain. That's a bummer of a day, isn't it? It pours and pours and pours and pours and it just rains like crazy and finally it stops raining and you walk outside and here come a fresh batch of clouds. He says in his very optimistic approach, <laughs> you're not getting any younger. He describes the aging process. You ready? Follow along with me. Let's walk through these verses. Verse three. On the day, now let me say this before on the onset. Um, all commentators agree on the fact that he's describing the aging process. Not everybody agrees on what each of these things means. Uh, I'm going to share with you what I believe each of these means, and, and, and actually probably I land in the majority on this when it comes to what I believe these things say. So look at verse 3 at the beginning. On the day when the guardians of the house begin to tremble, the guardians of the house, those are your hands, your arms, as you're aging, and they, they begin To tremble, they begin to shake in the the aging process. It might even mean you begin to lose your hand-eye coordination or your hand-eye coordination speed. So when you're out back throwing a ball with your grandson and he chucks it back at you, instead of catching it with your hands, you catch it with your face. That's a sign. The guardians of the house are trembling, your hands, your arms. When the strong men stoop, talking about these tree trunks of legs, when suddenly your posture takes on the posture of a ski jumper. Part of the aging process. The women who grind grain cease because they are few. Talking about your teeth. They start falling out. Not as many of them there, so instead of ordering steak, you prefer soup. The ones who watch through the windows see dimly. Talking about your eyesight. You go to the doctor for an appointment and he says, read the eye chart. And your first response is, where is it? And I, I don't know about, I know about me. I don't know about you. I think for many of us that begins, that process of I was beginning to lose that eyesight happens when you're in the restaurant and you're trying to look at a menu because the lighting's dim. For me, standing in this place, I realized it. I now have super giant print. I had to, and in fact, it's still not big enough for some things, like the verse numbers. If I ever get lost trying to find a verse, it's, not because, it's because I can't read the numbers. So what I've done is I've written in big numbers the numbers on the side of my margin. Yep, behind the scenes with Pastor Frank. Let's keep moving. <laughs> and Verse 4, the doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. You refer back to the women who were grinding at the mill above. This is probably speaking about your lips. The doors of the street are shut. Your lips kind of fall in when there's no teeth there. And the sound of the mill fades. You ain't chewing a whole lot anymore. Now, I don't remember, well, remember him. I don't have a whole lot of great stories with my granddad uh, growing up. I didn't spend a lot of time with him. But I do remember one thing my granddad used to say all the time, which cracked us up when we were little is we would sit at the table, and we'd be eating, and he would take a big bite, and then he would just sit there. And after a little while, one grandkid or somebody would be like, well, Grandpa, what are you doing? He's like, I'm waiting for it to melt. <laughs> I'm like, well, steak doesn't melt, so good luck. Let's continue on. While when one rises at the sound of a bird, now your sleep patterns are changing as you age, You wake up at every little thing. Now, that doesn't mean you stay awake. At at noon, it tends to be the time when all of a sudden our eyes get really heavy and you could be sitting at a desk in the middle of a conversation and all of a sudden be like, (laughs) happens. All the daughters of song grow faint. This aging process, it goes from, that's too loud to, huh, somebody talking to me? I didn't hear nothing. Your ears begin to fail. Also, they're afraid of heights and dangers on the road. As you age, there's a little bit of a jumpiness and a fear to go out. Heights become a a greater concern probably for two reasons. One, your balance isn't as good as it used to be. And two, because let's be honest, as a teenager, you could run face first into a wall and heal the next day. As you age, you reach in the refrigerator for milk and you end up having to go to the chiropractor for a month. Things are a little different as you age. The almond tree blossoms. Well, if you have any hair left, it starts to turn white like the blossoms of an almond tree. The grasshopper loses its spring. And it's a sad picture, actually. You think about how the grasshopper used to hop, and now it just kind of drags itself along. Um, And 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 actually, one of the saddest pictures of that, I think, and the the most um, biggest contrast, is if you look at the history of uh, the great boxer Muhammad Ali, you see him back in the day with all his poetry and all his moves and moves and then at the end of his life he was just barely dragging himself along okay i'm going <laughs> to attempt to be coof on this one desire fails perhaps your version of the bible says desire is no longer stirred maybe your version of the bible has what the uh, christian standard bible has where it says the caper berry has no effect it needs a little bit of explanation but i got to be careful with it let's just say the caper berry has a certain effect on men and what solomon is saying is you get older your desire begins to okay as a young married man you are chasing your wife around the house as you get older you're sitting in your chair you're like she is gorgeous and slower but this chair sure is comfy <laughs> So things change just a, just a little bit. We'll move on. For the mere mortal <laughs> is headed to his eternal home, and mourners will walk around in the street. What he says is this aging process is coming to bear on each of us. That, that All of our faculties are going to fail at some point. And if we're to live like those faculties are the most important, then we are going to live what is an empty, pointless, meaningless life. So instead of focusing on the things that bring no joy, he's challenging us to remember our creator now. Look at verse six. Before the silver cord is snapped, many believe that's the spinal cord. The gold bowl is broken, your brain. The jar is shattered at the spring, your heart. The wheel is broken into the well. Talking about your, your circulatory system. The dust returns to the earth as it once was, your physical body. The spirit returns to God who gave it, your very soul. Solomon says, your days are numbered. And, and let's just be clear, it's not your healthy diet that decides the number of your days. It's, it's, it's not a risk-free life that decides the number of your days. It's not even a good doctor that decides the number of your days. It's God who decides when you return the breath that he has lent to you. So he says before that happens, before that time comes, while there still is time, remember your creator. And the good news is if you're here this morning, there is obviously time, and that time is right now. Look at verse 9. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught people knowledge. He weighed, he explored, he arranged many proverbs. This teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings here are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. Solomon has poured himself into life and research. He has poured himself into understanding what the meaning of life is because he at some point in his life got to the place where he said, it's all meaningless. It's all futility. This is a great waste of my time. Why? Why? What is the point of life? And he says, I did all of my homework I studied this out and many people are going to come behind me and they're going to tell you that this is the point of life. This is the meaning of life. And he warns us, don't fall for the trap of listening to the latest and greatest craze that is out there. And my friends, it is everywhere today. Don't fall for the trap. Listen to the wisdom, God-inspired wisdom of Solomon himself when he says, after I've poured my life into everything, it comes back to this singular thing. Remember your creator. But what does that look like? It's a very Christianese phrase, isn't it? Well, thankfully, Solomon doesn't stop there. He tells us exactly how. Verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this fear God, keep his commands. Because this is the whole duty of all of humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. What Solomon says is this is the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the the grand finale. I want you to remember your creator, and you do that by fearing God. Now again, that's a very Christianese thing to say and often misunderstood. So so what does it mean to fear God? And typically, as you read commentators, as you listen to pastors, as you listen to theologians, the the belief of fearing God is reverential awe. Reverential awe. There's There's a truth to that definition. I mean, I've been to... Uh, both the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans. I've been to the the Great Lakes. I've been on top of the mountains in Colorado. I have been in places where I looked out over the the vastness in front of me, And, and in that moment, I was struck by my puniness. And God wants us to stand in awe of who he is and to be less impressed with who we are. And he wants us to have a sense of awe. Now, (laughs) we talked about this in staff on Wednesday. We were doing our staff devotions about this. The 80s ruined the word awesome. Awesome! You don't even know what that means. You know what awe is? Awe is when there are no words formed on your lips. It's simply an escape of air from your lungs. It's when your soul... Has been pressed or squeezed with wonder. It, it's fascinating. I did this this morning. I got goosebumps. It's when you go on Google and you search uh, um, colorblind people see for the first time. In it, it, some of those, those videos and some of those Stories, what you see is somebody who is so hyper and talking. I came oh, these are the glasses I've been waiting for. I can't wait. I get to put these glasses on. I mean, I, my cone's not, and They explain why they're colorblind. I haven't been able to see this. And that's just, just this, 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 this. So I can't wait. And they put the glasses on and the talking stops. And, and one fella, it was as simple as seeing an orange pumpkin with a green vine and realizing those were two different colors. That's the only thing you could say. it's It's not all the same. And there's no response that can equate the wonder of what they're experiencing for the very first time. Their soul is squeezed or pressed by wonder. That's awe. Awe is, awe is what happened on May 20th, 1995. As I stood in the church in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, the front aisle, with my mom sitting in the front row bawling her eyes out, church filled with people. The two doors in the center back of the sanctuary opening. Stephanie walking around the corner in her bridal gown. My soul was pressed in wonder. Fearing God is marked by reverential awe must respect him in that sense of I've I have no words to express what it is I'm seeing. Fearing God also means fearing God. There's also an aspect that must be included in our definition of what it means to fear God that includes his, his holiness. When you come face to face with a holy God, there is a fear that goes past reverential awe. There is a Terror that leads to shaking knees because we're afraid. A lot of things we're afraid of, aren't there? So if you trust the person next to you, lean next to them and tell them what it is that you're afraid of. What are the things in life that scare you? Go ahead. There are some people who should not be trusted with this information. So I, I did some research, and I looked up the, 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 the most common fears of 2019, and here they are. <laughs> Snakes, amen, hallelujah, heights, public speaking, I got that one covered, it's being quiet in public I struggle with, Spiders. I have a great spider story. I know you're surprised. Um, Amber was younger. I mean, we were, so we, I don't know how old she was. She was, she was elementary, maybe, may, no, she couldn't have been middle school. She had to be elementary age. And uh, she had gone up to bed, and her, <laughs> about a half hour, 45 minutes later, I had gone up, and I saw her light was on underneath her door. And so I, I opened up her door, and she was sitting in her bed, in the corner of her bed, with her blankets pulled up like this. I'm like, Pooh, what's, what's the matter? She's like, I, I came up, got ready for bed, there was this huge black spider. I'm like, huh? She's like, now I can't find it. There's nothing worse than not being able to find the one that you saw at one point. So spiders, uh, germs, crowded spaces, particularly with <laughs> germy people. Um, lo- thunder, lightning, flying. Dogs. Flying dogs. That'd be kind of creepy. Um, <laughs> this one always cracks me up. Clowns. People are terrified of clowns. I think I get it. I don't know. But, but you run that list, and you think about some of the things that you said to the people next to you, and, and you just think insects, all these different things that you could be be afraid of, and, and it, it, it's... I don't, <laughs> Foolish is the word, I guess, that I'm going to use. It's foolish. We are so terrified of all these things. And yet the very God who breathed our sun into existence, that that ball of fire that is in the sky that is 93 million miles away from us and yet is strong enough to both light and heat earth, and he Breathe that into existence. And we think we can just traipse into his presence without any terror. I don't think I should have to be afraid of God. I mean, oh, yeah, but but but, but being scared of him, that doesn't seem to align with what I think of him. Then you don't get it. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 10 is talking to the disciples about how. They're going to carry about his mission into the places around them and push the light into the darkness. And as they do that, there's going to be great persecution that comes against them. And, and, and there's going to be difficulty, and the, 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 they're going to be treated horribly. And they're, they're, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheeps, sheeps, <laughs> sheep among wolves. There we go. So I'm, I'm sending out sheep among wolves, and, and, and this is the deal. They're going to come at you, come at you, come at you, come at you, come at you. And he says, I do not want you to fear the ones who can only harm you physically. Don't fear them. Instead, the one you should fear is the one who can condemn your soul to hell because of your unbelief. It's not just awe. It's a terror as well. And, and I use this illustration all the time, and I apologize for this repetitiveness, but it's the only picture I can use that, that, that fully encapsulates what awe and terror combined look like. So, so um, if you go to a cliff, we, we go to one... It's called Wailusing Rock. It's in Wailusing, Pennsylvania. It's this really cool uh, rock structure that jets out over the top of the mountain, and it overlooks the Susquehanna River, and it's, I mean, you can see forever. It's crazy. In fact, it's way high up, um, and, and the, the one of the things that draws you to it is it's accessible enough where you, you can just walk right to the edge, sit down and put your legs over the edge, and, and the Everything underneath that cliff cuts underneath it. So you're just like dangling over everything. It's really appealing. It's beautiful. It's captivating. It's, it's awe. It's you can physically feel your soul being pressed. Uh, in fact, this last time we went, I got physically ill watching my children climb around on the rocks. It was like, I must be getting older. Ugh. But you don't want to miss that edge. You, you want to get as close to it so you can take it all in. But you also know that one false step, and uh, that's it. And so, my approach, I did it this time too. My approach is this. All right, DA, okay, we got this. Yeah, all right, I'm good. Because the reality is, it's it's so awesome, i got to be close to it. But it's also uh, really dangerous. And that's the picture of what it means to fear God. Your eyes need to be filled so full with wonder at his beauty, his majesty, his might, and his, his true awesomeness. And We need to have a fresh understanding that our God is a consuming fire that is able to both destroy the body and condemn the soul in hell. The fear of the Lord helps us. We're told in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning, it's the controlling principle of wisdom. We're told in Psalm 25, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Think about that. The Lord confides in those. He, he calls us his circle of confidants when we have an understanding of what it means to fear him. We're told in Proverbs 16, verse 6, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. See, what the saying is, saying is that fearing God is what keeps us from sin. Now, don't mistake this. It doesn't say that it saves us from our sin. That's through the love and faithfulness of God. But it does tell us that that when we live with the fear of God, we begin to choose carefully our behavior and it keeps us from sin. Well, we've had food allergies in our home for 16, 17 years is, is about how long we've had it in our home. And when you have somebody in your home with food allergies, it causes you to make different decisions. I have a food allergy. I'm allergic to pecans. Now, I don't, it's not a horrible reaction um, I, I don't get anaphylactic shock. Instead, I get one of two responses and reactions. It, they're great. First one is my lips swell up, so that's a good look. Second one is my eyes swell shut. So funny story. Um, oh, I was in a lawyer's office i was I was good. I was testifying for the good team, and uh, I had to stay for a couple of days to be called in a couple of times, and so uh, the, the staff there was, was very generous and gracious to us, and they wanted to make sure that we were comfortable, and so they would bring food in, and it was great. So day two, maybe day three of my time there, I'm sitting in this very lush and comfortable uh, waiting area, and I'm reading, and uh, this, this sweet, sweet, sweet lady, I mean, she was, she was a, a 70, 75 years old, and just peppy and fun, had a blast with her, and she's like, oh, Frank, Frank, I brought I brought coffee cake. Like, oh, God bless you. I got a big mug of coffee, hammered that first piece of coffee cake, and it was unbelievable. It tasted like a second piece. So I went and had a second piece of coffee cake. And I am just, and then I'm like, I'm reading or something. I'm just like, this is delicious. And then at some point I was like, okay. Like, man, my eye is so dry. Now, this tells you what kind of man I am. Go into the restroom, and I'm like, I don't think I'm all right. Man, it's so itchy, so dry. I need lotion. I don't have any lotion, so <laughs> I had chapstick. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yep. I'm sure that helped. I have no question. So I go back into the uh, the waiting area, and I, I sit for like another 45 minutes to an hour, and it's just like, yeah, I'm having some kind of reaction. You know what? So I go up to that sweet, sweet lady at the desk, and she's working, and I walk up, is like, ma'am, I'm sorry do you have any Benadryl or anything? And she's like, what for? Um, And it was, both my eyes had swollen almost shut. And I was like, I'm not sure what happened. She's like, are you allergic to anything? I said, pecans. And she's like, I'm so sorry. My teeth can't handle the crunch of the pecans, so I grind them up and put them on the top. You didn't recognize it. She tried to kill me is what happened. Um, (laughs) Thought I was testifying for the good team. Um, Of course, Because of where I was, it wasn't like, just take some Benadryl, you'll be fine. Oh, no, 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 call the ambulance. Yes, so that was the end of my trip. It was just fantastic. I love it. But the reality is when there's food allergies, it leads to a change of behavior. And when you don't change your behavior, you have some sort of problem coming. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. We need to understand the fear of the Lord isn't just a feeling. It's not just some knowledge that we have. It's not a phrase that we use. It's a true understanding of who God is. It's an understanding of who God is that demands a response. When we understand truly who God is, our first response is awe and terror. But it doesn't just end there. Awe and terror continues until we not just fear God, but we also keep his commands. The very first command we need to keep is to repent and trust in Jesus. If you're here this morning, you have not trusted Jesus to stand as your Savior then. You haven't just been neutral about him. You have rejected him. And if you've rejected Jesus Christ, you have picked a fight with the one true God by trampling his son under your foot. And picking a fight with God doesn't end well don't want to be an enemy of God his word tells us that by being his enemy he will pour out his wrath on us The very wrath of God finds its culmination in a place called hell please understand hell is not a figurative place it's not a bad day or a bad week hell is a literal place and I know I know some of you are like, well, I, I, that's not, I don't like talking about hell. Neither do I. I hate the fact that hell exists. But just because I don't like it, just because I hate it, doesn't mean I don't tell you about it. I hate taxes. That doesn't mean I'm not going to tell my children how to do their taxes just because it makes me uncomfortable. I need to warn them or else they're going to get a very unfortunate phone call from the IRS the same thing with hell. I need to warn you about hell. It is a real place. And the tax thing oversimplifies the severity of hell. But I want you to understand that, that just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean you can deny it. You cannot deny it. The scripture teaches us is, is praise God. God is slow to anger. That's, that's, that's why you, if you're here today, he's given you another chance to agree with him about how serious your sin is because he is patient, he is slow to anger. But as slow to anger as he is, if you reject his son, you are his enemy. And when his patience comes to its end, the full weight of his omnipotence and unrelenting fury of his wrath will be poured out on his enemies for all of eternity. That's not very loving. Yes, it is. The fact that he has given you an opportunity to stand face to face with him again. And in this, this stare down, giving you the opportunity to feel the full weight of fear, both awe and terror, when you understand that he knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. He knows your ways. He knows the depth and breadth of your sin. By giving you yet another chance, he's giving you a chance to confess that your sin is so egregious against him that you can't stand before him on your own. You need someone else to do it. And that's the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ came and fully lived the life that you could not possibly live in absolute perfection. That Jesus Christ died the death willingly, that you should have died under the full wrath of God on the cross. The good news is that if you would call on his name and trust Jesus to stand before, for you before the throne of God, well, there's your salvation. Keep his commands. Accept his son while you reject your sin. The next command that we should take very seriously is really the synopsis of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. We need to stop chasing wind and I I, I tell you what there are people here in this room that I'm aware of and many that I'm not aware of who continually habitually run after the same stuff time after time after time after time and and if they would just stop long enough to stand back and look you'd realize you don't even have a good reason to keep chasing after those things time after time after time after time because you are miserable It's not working. You are pouring yourself into these things and you've you've done it again and again and again. It's nothing but a waste of time, a waste of money. And what Solomon says is stop pursuing those things. Remember your creator. If we did, we would run to him time after time after time after time. The big idea of this book is that this wisest man in all of history has done things, seen things, bought things, grown things, said things, read things that we we can't even imagine. He says, I have done it all, and I've done it better and more extravagantly than any of you ever could. And I will tell you, it is pointless to pursue those things. So instead, remember your creator and stop chasing the wind. So are you chasing things that don't satisfy? You're feeling yourself full of things that that might make you happy for a minute or two. But then you have to jump to the next thing, and then to the next, and then to the next. We we all have those things dangled before us. It it can be work. I need to run to work. I need to run to work. I need to run to work. I got to do this. 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 And, And all you are doing is denying the true need in your soul to get off the treadmill. Maybe it's pornography. You're looking to, to fix a wound in your soul by looking at things you should never look at. And instead of it fixing your soul, it's creating a greater divide in your soul. Maybe, maybe the thing you pursue time after time after time after time is alcohol. You just want to numb it. Maybe it's just straight Food. And what happens is you take these things, which in and of themselves are given to you as a good gift from God, and you, you you multiply it and magnify it to this thing where it's your greatest good, and you pursue it to the place where it cannot help you. And, and Jeremiah says you're, you're counting on those things to satisfy a thirst in you. It's like counting on a broken cistern. In today's terms, it'd be be like being so very parched and you just, everything's stuck in the roof of your mouth and you just need a drink and so you're counting on a cup that has a huge hole in it to satisfy your thirst. It never can. It will always be empty because there's a hole in it. And yet we are foolish enough, just foolish enough to pursue those things. Instead, what we should be doing is running to the well that never runs dry. I go back to this story more than any other story in Scripture, I think. I was evaluating that in my own heart, in my own life this this week, and what I came to the conclusion of is this. I think I see myself so very clearly in these words. From John chapter 4, it's the story of the woman at the well. You know the story that Jesus is busy about ministry with his disciples, and he gets to the place in Samaria, and he sits down at this well, and it says he is tired, he is fatigued, and it's about noon, and he has sat at the well. And this woman from Samaria comes around noon. Now, that's shocking, because you don't go get water at noon. That is the hottest time of day. The women would go to the well early, early, early in the morning, maybe even before the sun rose in order to avoid the heat of the day. And they always did it in community. There was a number of women that would go and they would help each other and assist each other in that, that most necessary need of collecting water. But here she shows up at noon. It just so happens Jesus is sitting there. This conversation begins and Jesus says, give me a drink. She's shocked that he would speak to her because he was Jewish, she was Samaritan, those two never spoke. He was a man, she was a woman, that was a cultural no-no too. But Jesus says, "Get, get, get me a drink. If you knew who was speaking to you and said, give me a drink, you wouldn't have even gotten him a drink. You would have looked at him and said, oh, please give me living water. Now, I find weird encouragement at this moment because Jesus is using an illustration with this woman to get her to understand what's about to happen. And the woman looks at Jesus and says, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. You're going to give me water? You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me water?" And it's incredibly encouraging that even Jesus used a story and the woman's like, "Got nothing. Got to be more specific." So he says, "Let's be more specific." Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but but whoever drinks from the water I give them will never be thirsty again. See what he's doing there? He says, Everyone who has to come back to this well, he's giving her a picture of, You're on a treadmill. You're here today. Guess what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to show up here tomorrow to get more water. Guess what you're going to do tomorrow? Get more water. The next day, more water. Next day, more. It's just this continuous chasing of the wind that is happening in your life. And I'm going to tell you that if you would drink of the water that I give to you, you would be removed from the treadmill, you would stop chasing the wind, and you would find total satisfaction. She says, sir, please give me that water so that I'm not thirsty again. He says, okay, let me start with a question go get your husband, bring him back, and then we'll talk. And in that moment, you see why she's coming at noon, why she's coming alone and not in community is because she is filled with shame. Because she says, I don't have a husband. It's a safe answer. Jesus says, you're absolutely right. You've had five husbands. And this sixth man you're living with He's not your husband. You See what she was trying to do? There's something in her soul that is lacking. And so what she is doing is going from man to man to man to man to man to man, to man in order to fill that hole. Jesus says, as long as you do that, you're going to need to keep coming back to the well. Because this is a well that has run dry. There's no water there for your parched spirit. What are you running to? What are you pursuing? Why are you chasing the wind? Solomon says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Remember your creator. Fear God, keep his commandments, because this is the whole duty of all of humanity. He knows what satisfaction is available to you. It's God who knew the emptiness of the treadmill. It's God who knew the emptiness of of chasing the wind. And it's God who has made a way to lift you from it and put you on solid ground. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. Because in Jesus Christ, he remembered you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the sweet salvation we can experience through Christ. God, I I pray that you would deliver somebody right now from this empty pursuit, whatever it might be. God, I don't know, and I'm not doing a weird prophetic thing. I just know with a group this size, there are people who are struggling with addictions, with porn, with alcohol, with drugs, with with workaholism. God, they're they're struggling with all these things, and God, they are pursuing something that will never satisfy. They are chasing the wind. So God, would you lift them from that and give them freedom and understanding that it's Christ and Christ alone that brings true satisfaction. And I pray for the one who's, who's come face to face with you this morning and doesn't know you. I ask God that here, in this moment, they would cry out from their heart for salvation. That they would ask you to be the one who represents them before the throne of God and your righteousness to be credited to their account right now because there is nothing in them that can save them. So God, today, would today be that day of salvation? Lord, I ask, I ask that we would put our packs down and stop carrying the weight of our own sin and allow you to do it for your glory and for our good.